Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Basord and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the Bethlehem Royal and Morsey Hospitals in South London. Joining me today is Professor Eve Johnston, a consultant psychiatrist based at the University of Edinburgh. And she and several co-authors have published a fascinating paper in the December edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry. And the title of the paper is Schizotypal Cognitions as a Predictor of Psychopathology in Adolescents with Mild Intellectual Impairment. So, Professor Johnston, can I start by asking you, what what do you mean when you refer to, in the title of your paper, schizotypal cognitions? Well, uh, what we really mean are high scores on the structured inventory for schizotypy devised by Kendler and his colleagues uh, in the late 80s. Um, And why we have used this is uh, because the study as a whole very much arose out of our earlier work, uh, the Edinburgh High Risk Study of Schizophrenia, which was in people at familial risk of developing schizophrenia. They they were acquired when they were well and uh, followed up over a period of 10 years. They were assessed with many uh, instruments, including imaging, But um, among the best predictors of the later development of schizophrenia was uh, a score above a specific cutoff on uh, Kendler's structured inventory for schizotypy. And what the basic study here is about is the possibility that uh, the predictors of the later development of schizophrenia that can be derived in samples at high familial risk are also predictors in samples whose risk is different from that, is not familial at all. Could you give us an example of what you're referring to when you refer to a schizotypal symptom? Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the scale, but there are a lot of items. Uh, Some of them are about um, social shyness and withdrawal. Some of them are about social awkwardness. Uh, Some of them are about um, vaguely magical thoughts like superstitions and that sort of thing. And you add these up uh, in various domains and then you add the domains together to get a total score. And uh, we found that these, not particularly the ones like ideas of reference, which could occur, uh, but but more this withdrawal, uh, lack of interest in things, awkwardness, these were predictive in uh, the familial sample. And we are looking to see if we see this again. Why were you studying um, a population of young people with mild intellectual disability? Why the interest in that group? Well, this was because, really, it it arises out of of two studies that we had done. One is this um, Edinburgh High Risk study of people at familial high risk, which it was a difficult study to do, but in the end we were very, very pleased with the results because they seem to indicate that by this method we can we can begin to understand uh, the path by which schizophrenia develops and what it is that goes wrong. 
But of course, one of the things that you're left with at the end of that is this may be very fascinating, but these are people uh, from families with more than one other person affected with the illness, and you, you're not going to see that in the average in the average family. And to what extent can these findings be applied to the generality of schizophrenic patients? And in order to test that, we need to look at a sample that doesn't have this very high familial risk. You can't do this type of work with the general population because, of course, you've essentially got to look at 100 people to find one that's going to work. You know, you're going to have an end point, and that's just not viable. Uh, But we had uh, done earlier work uh, more than 10 years ago looking at samples of patients who uh, were recorded as having mild learning disability and were also separately recorded as having schizophrenia. And we were interested in this because of the figure that people with mild learning disability have a three- to four-fold risk of developing schizophrenia compared with the general population. And we were able to get people at that time who were, in fact, middle-aged, who were on um, essentially case registers for both of these diagnoses and we matched them with people who had schizophrenia but no learning disability and people who had learning disability but no schizophrenia and we were very interested to see that uh, what I called the comorbid people, that's the people with the learning disability and schizophrenia, they were actually in all the terms that we considered, in clinical terms, in neuropsychological terms, in terms of familial illness, and in terms of structural brain scans, uh, they were much more like uh, the people with schizophrenia than they were like the learning disabled. And in particular, in respect of the scans, what they looked as if they had was, was a particularly marked form of the changes that you would see in schizophrenia. And so it occurred to us that perhaps a sample like this would would be enough, that, you know, we're not going to get the approximately, you know, 12% increase, 12, 12% rate that we got in the familial cases, but if we could get, you know, 3 or 4% instead of 1%, maybe it would be enough to test this, and that's what we have done. So in the paper itself, you say that uh, your conclusion is that difficulties experienced by some young people with mild and borderline intellectual disability are associated with enhanced liability to schizophrenia. Why do you think that is? What's the mechanism that explains your finding in terms of what's going on in the brain? Well, um we we don't we don't absolutely know at the moment but what we find you see is that the people with uh, the schizotypal cognitions that are predictive in the familial cases that they do indeed have a much greater liability to develop uh, delusions and hallucinations and in some cases this has gone on to florid schizophrenia uh, than the other cases that is definitely so 
We also find that uh, those cognitions are associated with uh, abnormal patterns of neuropsychological function such that they don't differ uh, from the ones that don't have these cognitions in terms of IQ, but they do in measures of executive function and in measures of temporal lobe function. We also find, although it is not in the paper, there is a limit to how much you can get in one paper, we also find that the patterns of brain structure that we find in those in the familial cases destined to develop schizophrenia are occurring in these people too. This is a pattern of uh, frontal hypergyrification uh, that's published in um, the Biological Psychiatry. And a result that I haven't so far published at all is looking at the serial scans. Uh, they are losing grey matter tissue just like the people with the familial illness, temporal grey matter tissue. So this may be a gross simplification, but is it the case that your results suggest that if you're um, getting cognitive deficits for whatever reason in terms of the causation of the negative impact on the brain that might be leading to that, that you are at a general risk for uh, uh, schizophrenia? Or is it the case that being at risk for schizophrenia seems to be associated with specific or general uh, cognitive deficits? And actually, well, this cognitive deficit side... that uh, it would appear that being at risk for schizophrenia is associated with particular areas of cognitive deficit in that they have uh, problems with their memory, they have problems with executive function, they don't have other problems. We do not know how long these problems have existed, whether they have always been there or whether they develop in childhood is something that we do not know. Is it possible that another implication from your very interesting paper is that they may be in the population of young people suffering from mild intellectual impairment, uh, a quite large group perhaps of people who have been misdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all as suffering from a psychotic illness like schizophrenia? Well, I certainly think there are probably some. I certainly think that there are probably some where these are the, you know, these are the problems that they have and that, you know, it would be advantageous to them if this could be picked up maybe rather sooner than it is. I, I certainly think that this is possible. And indeed, we did find um, in the study that we did of the comorbid cases um, years ago that they did not get into, you know, that the, the, the psychotic diagnosis was not recognized for a long time much longer than would be the case in people who would have functioned at you know, a good level and people would have worried about the fact that they weren't managing. Certainly, of course, I'm speaking if you know, that that paper was done 10 years ago, these people were in their 50s, so I'm talking about events in the long ago past and you know, it may have changed. But it would seem that at the relevant time in those people, these difficulties weren't really picked up, you know, nobody expected a great deal of their functions, so if it changed, they just didn't, they didn't focus upon this, and this cannot have helped these people, it cannot have helped them at all. What would you say are the main implications or the take-home message of your paper for clinicians? 
Well, for clinicians, I think it would be, you know, the thing that I would be thinking in terms of if you have, I mean, these, these young people are not very learning disabled. You know, they're, they're, they, they can read and write um, and, you know, they might be anticipated. I mean, some of, the, some of them in the total sample, you know, we, we, we screened 500 people to get, to get the cases that we have, have looked at. They, they, you know, some of them manage to go out to work and, you know, manage not too badly. But, you know, they have, they have struggled at school. If you get somebody in that situation who seems to be deteriorating, their functioning is not improving, it's deteriorating, and that they start to seem more withdrawn, I would worry about them and, you know, keep an eye on them if I was a clinician. Well, I mean, I think initially it would be a GP. If I were a GP, I would keep an eye on them and I would refer them sooner rather than later. And I think for a clinician it's important to to focus on these cases. I mean, the, these young people who are, you know, at the top end of being learning disabled haven't received a great deal of study in the past. And overall, looking at this sample, you do feel there's there's actually a lot of more psychopathology than I would have anticipated. Um, The problems for the family are greater than I would have anticipated. And the scans taken overall are more abnormal to the naked eye than I would have anticipated, such that we've actually had to develop methods for you know, uh, applying SPM and VBM to irregular brains to do the work at all. And I think maybe this is a group of people who haven't received the clinical attention in the past that they maybe weren't. Professor Eve Johnston, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.